0: You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required.
1: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 80 of the MXU podcast. I am Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here as always with my co-host, uh, co-conspirator, and soon-to-be co-habitant, hey, Lee Fields. That's, I was wondering <laughs> what the
2: co was going to be this time, but that's a good one.
1: Well, because we're going to be living on a bus together for three and a half weeks, I figured we're going to be cohabitating in a way. So, um, yeah,
2: we'll be sleeping about uh,
1: three feet from each other. If that,
2: yeah. Uh, Vertically, not horizontally. (laughs) That's
1: correct. Yes. It's like bunk beds. You'll be, right. You'll be three feet above my head. Yeah. With many layers of uh, wood and blankets and. Masks and vaccines between us. Have you ever thought about how the the tour bus bunk area is is pretty crazy? Like I f- I feel like it- listen I, I I'm I'm convinced that that's why I am sick so rarely is because I've been exposed over and over and over again to any number of coronaviruses. The common cold being the least of which. But if you can survive in that Petri dish for that many years, yeah, I feel like, you know, you've, your body has just a, a built in resistance that plus, uh, you know, surviving catering every other week for your whole life. You got to have a, an iron gut and an iron immunity to disease. That's I all feel insane. like I could beat HIV at this point. I mean,
2: maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the cure for cancer too. It's like, just go live on a tour bus and build up that immune system. I I think you're probably right,
1: um, but speaking of the tour, it's coming so fast. Is it? Like, I've never heard of this. We've never talked about this. <laughs> no, we haven't. But you know, in case you didn't know, it's less than two weeks away, and I am really excited.
2: And uh, four cities have sold out. Right? Yes. Nashville sold yep. out. Charlotte sold out. Atlanta sold out. What else? There's another one. Denver is sold out. And Dallas is technically sold out. But, but we're still selling tickets. We're still tickets. selling tickets for some reason. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just it's still going. And uh, so Chicago, LA, <laughs> and Dallas, and Tulsa. Yeah. There's 20 we tickets left for tickets. Tulsa.
1: So go get those. Yeah, definitely. But we have a couple of really interesting tour announcements. And one of them is a really big one. It is a really big one. And we'll get more yeah.
2: specific next week. But we've kind of teased this a few times. We said that there would be a new product from a manufacturer on the tour. Well, now we're allowed to tell you which manufacturer. So without further ado, there will will be a brand new product featured by DMB. That's the company. Yes. And they only make a couple types of products, people. So, I mean, we're not really allowed to spill the beans on what it is. But do the
1: freaking math. They make really loud speakers and not so loud speakers, but they pretty much make loud speakers and amps. And so, and amps, yeah. So and they make
2: hardware. What if it's a it's a new pin for a line array, <laughs> a
1: new rigging pin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's safe to say that um, it's a new product from D and B, and they have graciously made it so that the MXU Live Tour is the worldwide debut for this product yeah so it's the first chance that people are going to have to experience this thing whatever it may be and uh it's you know it's on us to make it the best experience for people that it can possibly be no pressure let me tell you
2: this this new fly bar on the on the dmbq array from 20 years ago
1: it's something else you know (laughs) well we're actually going to be able to Mention it by name, probably by the time this episode is out. Probably. But um check out our social for that. If if you haven't seen it by then, we'll have a big post on our Instagram and so will they. So uh check out D B uh for all the details. But we couldn't be more grateful with uh what they're entrusting us with, but also for their partnership in general. It's just been great to be a part of what they're doing and when we were there at their facility recording videos for mxu now um it's just a great group of guys that make great products and we're just thrilled to be partnered with them that's awesome i uh, you know we're
2: talking to manufacturers and partners about what we're planning on next year and we're talking to some new partners that we've never worked with before so and we don't really yeah. have relationships with uh, these guys and What's funny is we always compare every partnership and relationship we have with the guys at D&B. They I know. to me set the bar for how they partner with people, but then also those are relationships they that gets transferred to users and to churches too. All their guys 100%. are like the most loved of any of the manufacturers, so it's just awesome and yeah. those guys are going to be
1: on the tour with us. Yeah. Um, the- what I love about them is that, you know, when you have a conversation, it really is about the relationship primarily. It's not about a sales agenda or a quota or a spec sheet or a brochure. It's really about how can we help you and your team make your church experiences better. And that's that's really what we what, what, what we should all be about. Totally. And, you know, at our
2: tour events there's going to be a ton of integrators and manufacturers represented but you know what there's not yep. going to be tables with marketing material and brochures exactly this is not a trade show no not at all actually i i take that back there is one table that we think was necessary and yeah. it's 64 ears are coming to our two day events but they're going to set up all of their in ear models so that everybody can hear them yeah so like i was on their website a couple days ago cuz You know, Phillip's hooking it up with some in-ears for me that won't make my ears get infected. And I'm looking at all the models, and it's pretty overwhelming. It's a lot. It's like, well, how do you know like, to just blindly pick which one of these is going to sound good without talking to them at least, but if if not hearing them? So they're going to have some stuff for people to hear, so that's cool.
1: Yeah, we're grateful for their partnership for sure. And there are other people that are going to be in the room from other manufacturers. And here's the deal. They wouldn't be there if they weren't trusted by us and people in our tribe who already use their products. And so anybody that you meet on the MXU tour, um, just know that the heart behind what they do is authentic and it comes from a place of really trying to help people get better and help church teams get better. So for those of you who are coming, you know, just know that any of those conversations are going to be great. and we just trust that your experience with any of those products will be awesome as well. Amen, brother. Speaking of products, though, that we haven't had on the tour before, I'm actually using a console that we haven't had on the tour before. Yeah. So I got to, I got to put my hands on it for the first time last week, and so I wanted to take a few minutes today to just kind of chat about it. Yes, and it's the Lavo console. It is, yeah. So, you know, Lavo is primarily thought of as a broadcast console you know it's in a lot of broadcast facilities all over the world and i never really thought of it as a live mixing console but um there are several big churches that we know of who have it who've integrated it and uh tony stairs who was at granger church um he he was kind of the first person i ever knew of that had it in kind of a A live mixing setting. He now works for Lavo as their basically sales director for all of North America. And so he's kind of the guy who's responsible, not just for churches, but for all of their clients. And so he and I met last week and I was able to work with Tony to sort of get my hands on the desk and get a feel for how it works and to start setting up a show file, which was very interesting. And you know there are things about it that were super intuitive and then things about it that you know i just didn't know so i needed his help to start to navigate yeah. which was a really good experience so um, like when i walk up to new console
2: that you've never mixed on within about yeah. three minutes you kind of decide if you like it or not so yeah i mean this is this is unfiltered raw here so what was your like your first reaction within a few minutes
1: well my first reaction was honestly i was glad tony was there because in terms of just the initial setup it's a bit of a challenge because it's so flexible okay like i think you know it's it's not like you you power it on and then there's a show file you have to tell it what you want it to be because anything can be anything and any channel can be anywhere Yep. So with, with his help though, we were able to get a layout and, um, you know, a setup happening pretty quickly. And so once we got to that point, my first impression was that this thing is pretty great. Um, just the simple things like the way the faders feel and, you know, the fader resolution and smoothness of all that, um, the intuitiveness of just getting around the the screen and the eq and the rotary controllers and all that stuff it it just felt very familiar that's good um you could definitely tell that it's you know it's built for guys who are pros who know how a console's supposed to work i mean it's it's really it's really intuitive once you get it up and running so in a lot of ways like
2: you know digico is kind of like that and you power it on it's not like here's all your inputs here's all your outputs here You kind of have to tell it where to go. SSL is for sure that way. You have to say SSL is very much, yeah, very much like that. I want 72 inputs, I want 47 buses, and then you hit apply and it builds it. So it's like that.
1: It's very, very similar, yeah. Um, but the the frame, you know, it's it's a very modular kind of setup. So you can you can have a frame with either 16, 32, or 48 faders. That's awesome. So the one that I'm gonna have is gonna have 32 faders. So it's kind of the mid-level model. So, so are those faders banks of eight or twelve? Uh banks of eight. Yeah. So I'm gonna have the basically the MC 36 is the model and it's the 32 fader version, which is basically one, two, three, four banks of eight faders. But it's kind of like uh there's 16 and 16. Okay. So the way I have my show file set up is The left side is basically all my inputs and then band inputs. And then the right side is going to be kind of a custom setup of of like vocals, some effects, some VCAs. And the crazy thing about this desk, though, is, I mean, in terms of the DSP, you've got basically 256 DSP channels and 96 summing buses. And with the new software update that's coming, you'll be able to float between inputs and buses even more. So of those 256 DSP channel points, you'll be able to have almost an unlimited number of inputs versus outputs. Um, And you have 96 auxes, up to 96 groups, up to 96 main sums, 32 auto mix groups. I mean, there's just 128 VCAs. Oh my gosh. So it's... I know. It's just like, okay, anything you would want this thing to be able to do, yeah. it can do. So that is a little bit intimidating. Yeah, And so I decided to basically go the other way in sort of my approach to it. It was like, okay, Tony, what's the simplest way that I can get these tracks happening? And then we'll come up with a couple of different buses and other parallel paths and things like that. But I didn't want to overwhelm myself or overwhelm people who might want to see it with a bunch of just whiz bang tricks it's like okay how can we lay this out simply so that's why we just have kind of band inputs on the left side outputs on the right with vcas the thing though that's cool is that you have six banks of inputs and each bank has two layers okay so you've basically got up to 12 fader banks times 16 so i could have yeah. you know 72 faders at my fingertips you know it's i mean i'm excited to kind of get into it and actually mix through the pa with it um you know i did a little bit of mixing of the tracks that i had with me and you know the dynamics sound really good super transparent compressor super smooth gate the eq sounds really good i just i think You know, it's definitely a contender for any other console in that similar range.
2: And that price range is like SD12 and 10, SD10, PM5, PM7, PM5, yep. L200, 300. It's not the, you know, SD7s, SD5s, PM10. It's actually cheaper than that. No. I'm sure you could get it that expensive if you added 250 channels of I.O but totally you could do that with any console but it
1: is in that like with any of it's them it's in yeah. that medium to large price yeah. point yeah but it's designed to sort of be a contender in that market so if you're a large church that is thinking about you know some of those other brands it's definitely worth considering what's you know and the other interesting thing is that They're continuing to develop the firmware. And so there are updates that are coming soon. Actually, there's a significant update that we'll have probably in time for the tour um, that will include some other features and other um, just horsepower in the DSP. Um, One thing it doesn't have that's actually really interesting. And, you know, the reason for this, I get like, you know, how Yamaha has done partnerships with. Casty and Neve and you know their plugins are licensed to be models of the originals well this console doesn't have that and there aren't even any built-in effects yet because they're trying to make sure that those partnerships and relationships are going to be as authentic to the original as possible so interesting effects effects are coming they're just not there yet because they didn't want to just put in some digital reverb without knowing that it was correct a really really great reverb. And plus, initially these consoles were going into broadcast studios that already had racks and racks of right. outboard gear. It's almost like, well, you've already got your broadcasty, you've already got your a Luxon, real one, a real 480. You've really you've already got yeah. all this TC electronic stuff. In fact, when we were at Saturday night live. Yep. You know, he had <laughs> he had several burcastis br- and 480s with the, you know, Lexicon controller, yep, that was kind of sitting on our you know, the top of a rack that he could just manipulate. Yeah, it was awesome. Anytime all day long. So, it was great. So, anyway, it's there's a lot we can talk about and we'll talk about it a lot in person, but it was it was very cool. I was impressed. That is awesome. You know, that just reminded me when you said
2: Casty and Neve and, and Yamaha when we were in Nashville we didn't tell people this we had dinner with Russ Long and Chris Taylor and it was so great Chris told some of the stories of working with Rupert on um some of the plug-in modeling that they did and yeah. it, I mean correct me but there was something that they had modeled and they sent it to Rupert and he was like nope not right and the, the Japanese engineers were like, what are you talking about? It's, it's perfect. And for some reason, the one that they had had a different piece of gear in it or something, and it, it was causing some distortion, and Rupert heard it.
1: Yeah, I think it was the, the the particular unit that they had been given to model for the console had some capacitor or resistor, like a tiny piece yeah. of the puzzle had been changed or modified. And Rupert Neve was able to hear that and say, no, that kind of harmonic distortion isn't quite right. We need to change it. And I mean- That's crazy. Just that, not only that he would hear it, but that he would know what caused it. No kidding. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And he was, at the time, in his 70s. <laughs> so, I mean, I you know, we're on episode 80 of the podcast. My mother-in-law turns 80 next month. In her 70s, she could not hear me t- say her name, much less hear what the resistance of this particular part in an electronic circuit is yeah. doing to a signal. I mean, it's crazy.
2: So this kind of gets us talking, and I think we'll talk about this in our interview a bit today about outboard gear. So yeah. um, on tour, Chris Raybold is bringing some outboard gear, and yeah. you know, Distressor, Fatso, some other cool boutique stuff that he's got. And I started looking into this and then I started thinking like, man, I kind of want to try this. Now, hear me out. There's a reason why I want to try some Outboard Gear. Yeah. It's because I've never tried it. And when people ask, I want to be able to say definitively, yeah, here's what it did for me. Here's what it didn't do. Here's how I think it compares to using plugins or stuff in the console. I've just never had the experience. So I I don't, I can't answer it, honestly, because I don't know. So, I went down this kind of rabbit trail. Like, I, Chris sent me a spreadsheet of his outboard gear, and it's like, you know, it's a double wide, two 24 spaces. It's not completely full, they're spaced out because you need vents and stuff. But so I went to like reverb.com and started building a simple one. Like, okay, what would this cost? Give me two distressors, a fatso, um, <laughs> a nice stereo compressor, like an API 2500, um, a nice EQ. So, a stereo EQ, so like, I don't know, a, a tube tech EQ and yeah. a summing mixer. So Neve has a summing mixer, two space, that's cool, and a converter and a Bracasti M7. Guess how much all that cost? You could build that rack or you could buy a really nice car. Yeah, it was like in the 20s of thousands <laughs> of dollars. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that's. I don't know if it's worth the experiment to do that. So then, you know, you're on Reverb and you're looking at uh, Blue Stripe eleven seventy sixes, and then there's all these new companies that have made models of them, right? And it's like, oh, Black Line Audio has one called a Bluey, and it's eight hundred bucks. Yeah. So then I start thinking, okay, well, maybe I could get some of these cheaper ones. But then you're in the same boat. You're like, well, here's my opinion of this. It's still going to be ten grand. Here's my opinion of this eight hundred dollar um, model. How can I then say it's the same as the real one i'm in the same boat right. you know it, it's still not at that point you might as well be using a plug-in exactly so i went yeah. to youtube and started looking at reviews of the this black line audio bluey yeah and and i'm intrigued and here's why they it they partnered with chris lord algae because his blue stripe 1176 that waves modeled the cla76 yeah i freaking love that plug-in so much and when our friend Dave Hatmaker at Yamaha told me that the 76 was going in the CLs back then, I got really excited. But then when it came out, I was using it on the CL, and I'm like, Dave, it's different. It does not yeah. sound the same as the plugin. I actually like this plugin better. And Dave's response was, well, that one's right. The one in the Yamaha is correct. It's modeled circuit for circuit. So this YouTube video... Same thing. Chris Lord Alge's Blue Stripe, there's something different about it, and they couldn't figure out what it was. So the guys that manufactured the original flew to Chris's studio and looked at his Blue Stripe. He's got four of them, but there's only one that he actually uses on vocals. And like, That's the one. Okay. They took the casing off of it, and it's been modded. When Chris got it used, it had been modded. It has wow. a faster attack, a faster release, and has some distortion built into it. Wow. It's actually the preamp from an X32. Yeah, exactly. No, it's a wing. <laughs> um, so, Black Lion modeled that one. So, this one yeah. that you can now buy for 900 bucks, it's a piece of outward gear, not a plug in. They modeled Chris's Blue Stripe
1: 1176. And that's great. The only, I mean, if you want to go down that road, I think, I think it's awesome. The problem is when you do that, you only have one channel i know whereas the cla model from waves you have however many channels your server will support so i love the idea of having outboard gear don't don't get me wrong because i used it for years in the studio and it's awesome but once you get used to channel count that you have access to and all the flexibility that plugins give you you know i In fact, we've got some uh, videos that are coming out on MXU now uh, with a session that we did at Tweed Recording where we actually went through their racks of outboard gear and basically took a 1176, an LA-2A, a DBX-160, several different compressors, and basically compared the exact settings on those units to those exact settings in Waves. Ran the same source through both to compare the sounds. And it was stunning how similar, how really exact they were. Wait, we have a video on this? Why have I not seen this?
2: (laughs) It's still in the uh, editing room. Oh, that's what you... Okay, this video is coming out soon.
1: It's coming soon.
2: Okay, now that's going to be my favorite video on our MXU Now library. So that's awesome.
1: (laughs) Well, maybe you can make a playlist and send it to people and just uh, give them you know another reason why they should subscribe to MXU teams. Well that's great. So now that we're talking so much about Outboard, maybe we'll shuffle that to the
2: top of the release list. So go subscribe to MXU now and MXU teams. That's kind of why I put it in our Slack yesterday. It was like, these videos are cool. When are they coming out? Yeah. That's awesome. I I'm yeah. going to go watch that cuz I have early access. Yes you do. <laughs> All right, why don't you tell us about our guest today?
1: Yeah, so our guest is Jared Blumenberg and he is most recently um front house engineer for florida georgia line and was out actually with chris tomlin for the summer tour that chris did with carrie Job and bethel music and so i saw jared a couple weeks ago when i went to see chris here in south carolina and we got to talking and i thought you know what this guy needs to be on the podcast because he is just such a great dude and has great knowledge so We want to uh, have a conversation with him. We have no idea what we're going to talk about or what rabbit trails it's going to lead to, as always, but we hope you enjoy the convo. Here we go. Well, we are pleased to welcome to the MXU podcast, Jared Blumenberg, a a new friend, but uh, already a good friend, I think, of me and of MXU. So Jared, thanks for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. So everybody needs to know, first of all, this is the first podcast guest that we've had who's recording his audio through a wireless mic and more than that, actually recording through a Behringer Wing console. So yeah. Lee, I know you've got issues with that. I maybe, do. Yeah. But how,
2: how long did it take you to get that
1: thing patched is what I want to know.
2: <laughs> yeah, really. I, don't, I probably didn't even do it. I think someone else did it. <laughs>
1: That's funny. That's funny. So for those of you who don't know Jared's name, uh, he is uh, primarily front of house engineer for Florida Georgia Line. Uh, But we saw each other recently at uh, a Chris Tomlin show where he was mixing uh, the summer tour for Chris. And after hearing the mix and after seeing some of what Jared was doing uh, on the console, I was like, you know what? We got to have a conversation with this guy because it sounded so good. And the setup was surprisingly Simple and uncomplicated, which I just admire. So, anyway, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, well, I appreciate that.
2: So, Jared, I gotta tell you, uh, I'm gonna maybe embarrass you here, but all right, you're probably the one guy who I have never heard a bad criticism from about your mixes. So, I've never heard <laughs> you mix, however. As far back as when you started mixing for Florida Georgia Line, any of my musician friends that went to a concert, people that I trusted, every single person made a note to tell me how good it sounded. And then Jeff said, oh my gosh, Tomlin sounded awesome. And then last night, actually, a buddy of mine who's mixing for a country band, he was out mixing somewhere on a a Claire Co-12 rig. And, you know, like, say what you want about the that PA. Some people love it. Some people don't. And this guy said to me, I've only ever heard Florida Georgia Line sound good on that PA anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you're kind of like the bar for, like, the best big oh, country music right now. So wow. I'm well, that's to
1: talk to you. That's very, very kind. I appreciate all that. So for people who don't know anything about you, why don't you give us just a little bit of background and your history, like... Tell us your story. Sure. Uh, well, so this is
0: my 10th year with Florida Georgia Line. Uh, I basically started with them pretty green um, when when they first needed a crew guy. So a friend of mine at the time was a tour manager for them, and it was very, very early on. And they uh, they were just getting ready to release crews a couple months uh, after I had started. And so they had a lot of things happening, and um, we're ready to hire just somebody to do kind of all things production. So when I first got hired with them, I was – Hired to do front of house, but it was also everything else. So I set up a little monitor console for them and then kind of let them deal with that. Helped set up backline, helped sell merch sometimes. I remember doing that a few times. Um, So just kind of anything and everything on the road with them. Uh, And then obviously it just grew really fast, and I had to learn a lot really quickly just in uh, real-world environments from this venue to the next and this console to the next. And at the time, a lot of those consoles I'd never actually seen in person, so I definitely had to learn... lot quickly. Um,
2: Was that your first gig mixing?
0: Like your first gig? First proper gig touring. Yeah. So I guess I should have started a little sooner. I I went to school uh, at SAE in Nashville in 2006, and it was one of those experiences where I—I don't know if it really helped me all that much, but it got me to Nashville and met some people, and then uh, ended up getting an internship at Rocket Town. A lot of nice. road guys have gone through Rocket Town, so there, there's a oh bunch yeah. of friends that have kind of started there. And so that I was in the same boat. I kind of interned there for a little while, and that turned into a sort of a part-time gig and definitely learned a lot, uh, again, on the job, working with other guys there, just mixing bands that came through that didn't have uh, people or whatever. And so that's kind of where I started. And then I was also playing with some friends. I used to play bass and uh, played downtown a little bit, hoping that originally hoping that that was going to be, uh, you know, my ultimate destiny was to play and i uh, <laughs> yeah. quickly learned that that's not what i wanted to do at all so <laughs> um so i tried to just keep keep my foot in the door in various ways and then uh was mixing at rockettown kind of part-time while working a full-time job in a completely different world um and then uh was the other world was it like corporate office stuff that i just absolutely hated but uh once I got the opportunity for Florida Georgia Line, that was it was a full time gig, but it was you know very, uh, very green and very starting out small, and so it just grew really quickly. And uh, luckily, they were very loyal to me. I was, I've been loyal to them, and, and so it it just grew fast. And and I went from mixing that first year in 2012, we were opening for Jake Owen in clubs, so we were playing like House of Blues and stuff like that, and even smaller, quite a lot of smaller venues as well. Um, that was in 2012, beginning of 2013. We were opening for Luke Bryan on a full-on arena tour. So we went from I went from personally mixing very small club venues to uh, the first arena I did was the Orlando. I don't know what it's called now, but uh, at the time that was a good-sized arena, and I remember being pretty nervous about it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the story of how I got started with them, and then it just kind of grew from there.
1: That's so cool. Well, so many people who. Are in this world who are really good at it obviously you know a key component for most of them is having a musical background to start and you know that's true for lee and me and true for you as well um and it's funny for me like because it's kind of a similar thing in terms of just the size of the venues like there was a big acceleration in my career from just you know churches and smaller theaters and then all of a sudden you're in arenas and oh wait here's the stadium so you know people ask me sometimes like how's it different to mix in those kind of rooms you know that kind of deal what was that transition like for you just in terms of how you approached it from a musical standpoint like did you think about things differently or were you always kind of approaching it the same way and just okay it's a bigger room but the principles are the same
0: Uh, I guess I would say I I tried to approach it the same I guess and just try to Try to do what I what I felt always worked for me and for this instrument or that instrument or this vocal or that, and and then just really try to pay attention to the room though, and, and I guess in so, some of the rooms, you know, you can't do anything about it. It's the way they sound, it's the way they sound. Um, yeah. But just try to live in that, uh, and and just yeah, yeah ex- accept the the amount of space that you're trying to fill with that
2: PA and everything, and um, so yeah, I guess I guess try to stay the same so jeff you just heard jared mix chris tomlin a band you mix for for 10 years so yeah you've heard a couple different people mix chris and i've gotten texts from you after that were sometimes good sometimes bad so what was it yeah what's it like hearing someone else mix a band that you feel like you're in some way still family with
1: man that's a really good question and a, a really interesting challenge for me because all of the songs, so that the set that they played the night that I heard them was only a 55 minute set. So it was a condensed, it wasn't a Chris Tomlin show. It was Carrie Job and Bethel and Chris. And so Chris's deal, it wasn't like a 90 minute set where they were doing a bunch of new stuff. It was like every song except one was one that I had mixed before. Um, every song except, thank you, Lord, I guess, the right. Thomas Rhett thing was basically my standard set list. And so every every part is very much the same. The way Daniel approaches his guitar is very much the same. So I had a great reference point the whole night. And what struck me time and time and time again was, oh, that's what I would do. Oh, that's what I would do. Like that guitar lick or that drum fill or that Baseline. It was like, yep, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. It was like, it was so encouraging because I felt like the guys were represented so well. Oh, that's awesome. That's what I always cared about when I was sitting behind the desk is can I do my best to help facilitate what they're trying to communicate? And I felt like that's exactly what I heard you do, Jared. It was like, you know, Chris felt so natural and You could tell he was having fun it was you know he he was very much at ease it was just it was great because i was just proud that the guys were represented as well as they were so that's awesome that's definitely a
0: a a goal of mine i guess every night is that if the average person in the crowd looks at the stage if they look at a certain guitar part can they hear what they're looking at or you know can they hear that person singing uh and in the same same way i Feel as my responsibility as a mixer to learn the songs as well, if not better, as the band, so that I know what parts coming next. This part needs to be pushed a little bit. Yeah, exactly. This drum fill, that drum fill, like those kind of things. I w- I want to know that as well, if not better, than the band, so I know
1: what's coming. Yeah, totally. So why are some of the best mixers, especially live mixers, bass players? Because I feel like. <laughs> Over and over and over again, I meet guys who are really good at what they do, and it's like, yeah, I grew up playing bass, or yeah, I was a bass player. Bass players and drummers seem to always be great mixers. Uh, I agree, yeah. I, I play drums a little bit as well, and that's the same thing. I always try to, to like
0: really emphasize good drum sounds as, as a good uh, goal of mine as well. So
2: It's because it's because we were the smartest ones to realize we can make more money behind a console <laughs> than playing in bars on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i don't know if that's actually true but it's funny okay so talk to us just about your approach to mixing jared it's you don't have a ton of outward gear like uh, jeff even said there's not a lot of plugins you know there's you didn't have two channels of super rack full of plugins for your kick drum or anything like that so no i think i'm teeing you up to say super simple but i want to hear it from you yeah no definitely
0: i've I've tried over the years to go back to the basics of just good gain structure, good source off the deck first off. And obviously with Tomlin's band, especially, there's guys that are all so super talented and their sounds are so consistent from one day to the next. Um, I try to not overdo it and let the source be what it is. And I guess I would more so focus on, instead of worrying about this technique or that technique and this compressor and these plugins and all that stuff, to try to really just, again, Amplify what they're doing on stage and just kind of get out of the way and and let them do what they're doing and let it feel natural, so that it's not. I just like I feel like so many times I hear mixes that it, to me the first thing I hear is that it's so over compressed, yeah. And that and I don't know where that's happening. It could be on the master buster and like th- this this group and that group and everything else. um yeah. That it just doesn't feel natural and so I I just try. That's what I've tried to do. I guess is take it back to the basics um, and. Part of that is just because I'm I'm not the smartest dude. I can't remember what you know 57 plugins are doing over here. And while I would rather just like look at the source, see what's coming in and just amplify that.
1: Well, I think that was my impression when I heard it was that it was so transparent, but it was so there was a ton of air on top and it didn't sound super squeezed. But at the same time, it was consistent and even and well balanced. It was it was just it was really pleasing to listen to. It wasn't super loud. Right. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't abrasive or harsh at all. It you know tons of dynamic range. It was. It was really. I mean, it was like a clinic to me in terms of what a live experience should be. Uh, that's awesome. Is that a similar approach that you have with FGL as well? I mean, yeah. just keeping it simple.
0: Uh, definitely. That, that's almost the same. Uh, almost the same setup that I would use with FGL was very similar. Uh, the few plugins I do use, uh, are just pretty basic. I use an H comp on the snare snare bottom on the base. And then on the master bus, I just throw it AT- API 2500 just to kind of try to grab transits a little bit, but again, not crush the whole thing so that it still feels natural. Um, yep. is that like that's really about it? L- low ratio, just a couple DB. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to barely, just to barely squeeze just a little bit so that it's not something jump way out in front of you. Uh, and That's really about it as far as as plugins, and then I don't have any outboard gear currently. I'm just using just onboard Digico stuff. Um, I was going to say about overall volume. That's something another goal that I've been trying to do over the last couple of years as I've gotten older. I used to mix way too loud. I know I did, and I'd like I probably hurt people or hurt myself early on. You know, just just going wild with it. So I've been trying, even with FGL, trying to live closer to around a hundred, uh, yeah. uh, at least as as a baseline. Obviously, there's you know peaks throughout the show and, and it depends on the venue and the crowd and all that stuff yeah. but um, especially with tomlin as well i still want it to feel like a big full mix but also throughout the show have moments where it you know it comes down and he has the, some acoustic songs and so i like having that dynamic uh, range throughout the show but even when it's just full bore loud i still try to live it around 100 because i i feel like personally when you get much louder than that it just starts to not sound like much anyway. Like it just gets too yeah. Little, so.
2: yeah, I'm getting that's old, weird. I guess. Okay, so you said <laughs> you use like four plugins. That's that's awesome. But what about the vocals? Yeah. So uh, so
0: for Chris, um, Jeff, you were asking what I was doing to get his vocal out in front. Um, so on his vocal, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what plug. I don't think I hardly use any. I use a PSE plugin just to, as I try to uh, clean up the source a little bit cuz he's on a 58, right? Just a standard 58, yep. But then he'll back um, off
2: that mic cuz he wants to hear he the does. crowd, right?
0: Yeah. Yep, 100%. Yeah, and that's something honestly I had to just get used to with him. And I feel like he sometimes he does it on purpose to where he doesn't personally maybe he doesn't want his vocal out way out in front all the time.
1: Yeah, he totally does it on purpose. Yeah. I think the that was a hard thing for me to learn too, like the biggest win for him is to be able to start the chorus of a song, back off the mic and let the crowd take it. And yeah. I spent, I spent way too much frustrating time trying to dig whatever I could out of that vocal tonality when that really wasn't his priority. Like, he's barely singing right. and doesn't really care about it at that point because he wants to hear the crowd, and he wants the crowd to hear the crowd. So it was really a balance of just going, okay, once I understood that wasn't his priority, then I could focus on other things and really try to help kind of the band Come around the crowd yep. to give them something to sing along with. Right, I
0: don't think with Tomlin having having George out there as a background singer, and then there yeah. is some a little bit of track that they use. It's uh, just some backing stuff to kind of fill it. I tried to lean on that stuff in those moments as well, just so that the crowd still had, yeah, you know, that part there. But it's not Chris's vocal, but it's just it's still there. So yeah, trying that. But as far as when I do try to get his vocal out in front. Um, that one of the things I started doing a long time ago and is maybe this is like a dumb trick, but this is what I've done. And it worked with FGL as well. I basically put everything except for lead vocals and the snare in a VCA and duck everything by about, depending on the day, six to nine DB. So that when that vocal comes out, it's out of the gate, it's six to nine DB hotter than everything else. And then that way it's way out in front. And then, um, it just depends on the day of how that works but that's really always helped me to get his vocal way out in front without having to slam his input and then get into issues with like feeding back through the PA if it's like way too hot or over compressed or whatever the issue just to try to start from that point
1: and that's really helped me do that so you're really starting from a point of just simply volume right not trying to use additional compression or additional output gain or whatever it's just volume just faders Just a fader. Exactly, yeah. And these other faders are going to be a little bit lower. Right. And that's, that's going to be the starting point. That's, I mean, that's what I've tried. A pretty straight line, pretty simple solution. So, what about the rest of
2: his, his vocal
1: chain?
0: Uh, let's see. On the, on board, I've just got, um, a DSer on just on the Digico console, just onboard DSer. Um, just to try to grab some of the some of the S's on certain songs, they really jump out. And so I tried to just grab it a little bit to where it still sounds natural, but is isn't jumping way out. Uh, and then what I did on this last run uh, was just a, a 31 band graphic EQ, as well as the onboard EQ, just to try to notch mostly more for feedback control and, and like ultimate source out of the PA, just to make sure that it stays clean and stable so that he can walk anywhere on stage in front of the PA or not.
1: And it should be fine. So that's, and that's really it. So there aren't many people who would think to strap a graphic EQ on top of a channel like that, but I think that is a pretty great tip. Yeah.
0: Someone, I think it was Bull actually with Claire. He's a like legendary monitor engineer. Yeah. He's been on here. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it was him that told me that a long time ago that that's a great trick that like monitor guys used to use with wedges and so it's kind of the same idea like you know I'm, that's the last thing before before it goes is just to notch out certain
2: bad frequencies that are more so specific to that pa that day so let me get me just to recap so pse was a plug-in on the vocal just to yep. get the drums and stuff out of it mm-hmm. and then uh, onboard eq and compression on the digico Yep. And compression not much and then a DSer,
0: yeah. So on the digital I used the, the the dual where it's the DS first then a compressor compressor after
1: that. Uh and then EQ graphic 31 band. That's it. That's awesome. And, and from what I remember about the parametric EQ just in looking at it it was high pass low pass a little high mid cut maybe 2500 or so and maybe a low mid cut as well. I mean it wasn't like this super surgical, like, no, you know, that's another thing. Dynamic, dynamic EQ and all that. It was super smooth and not very much.
0: Yeah, I guess again, trying to just go back to, to keep it simple. I don't, for one, I don't like to really notch out a uh, source too, too much. Um, I'd rather do slightly wider uh, EQ cuts and then again, not anything too drastic. But again, I think going back to just the basics of just li- instead of always doing what you always do, maybe like really listening and seeing like, oh, what what am I actually hearing when I do this thing and mm-hmm. slide it back and forth and see what you're actually affecting with those EQ cuts.
2: That's awesome. So uh, what about PA? So like when you're, if you're headlining, so FGL and Tomlin, you kind of get to decide being the last guy, what you want the PA to sound like. What are you yeah. after in a big PA? Yeah. So with FGL, we've always been with Claire. So I've been on cohesion for
0: the last, uh, probably six years, and I'm I'm one that I do love it, and I, I do think that it also always depends on the system engineer because I've – same deal. I've heard it really not great, but then yeah. we always had a really good S- SE that was a good friend of mine, and um, and he was great at it. And so anyway, I, I always love that PA. Um, I think with any PA, I definitely always tend to end up cutting somewhere between 2 and 4K just because that to me is what jumps out to most people as painful. And, and, and that's where a lot of guitars and vocals end up sounding pointed. And, you know, so you want to, I try to cut those areas without losing definition, without losing the Mm -hmm. clarity of whatever the source is. Um, And then, and then as far as like, like I try to let my snare sit in like that big impact range of like a, 100 to 150, so that you yep. feel the snare a little bit too. So I try not to cut too much of that out of the PA, so that there's there's still that impact. And again, it depends on one PA to the next. Because you can always high pass out of everything else that you don't want. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. So I try to leave that in the PA, so that I still have that impact where I where I want it in certain inputs. Um, and then as far as subs, like I know there's set like all these different ways to do sub deployment. Um, what we landed on with FGL the last full uh, headline tour we did was all flown and so we did six aside all flown uh, in cardioid and i felt like on all the clear deployments we've had that was the most consistent low end when you walk across the venue uh, it just seemed like that was the best the best way to get it consistent now i know a lot of people do the like clusters all the way across the front that's ideal that's probably the best scenario but with the production we had we could never do it because of a thrust or whatever you know yeah um, cryo tanks all that stuff that was down in the
2: way of doing that and so getting them up in the air was just kind of good for everybody so that's cool and then that's very cool you know cutting that stuff out or cutting the 2 to 4k out are you listening to tracks after the se does his job and just okay give me it's like too dark give me a little brighter is that usually how you kind of work
0: yeah yeah so normally i'd I, I kind of let the SC do their thing completely, especially on this last Tomlin run. It was kind of more like a rolling festival. So he yeah. kind of had to had to accommodate a, a lot of people. So I would just kind of let him do his thing. And he would get it uh, really pretty flat, which is great. And then so I would just kind of come in and, and tweak it just a little bit from my console, how I'm used to hearing yeah. this track and that. So I usually end up playing a couple John Mayer songs as what I'm used to like tuning yep. with or listening to. And because there's a good mix. I feel like those songs have... They're mixed really well, obviously. And uh, there's a little bit of lead guitar that has that range that jumps out at you. Same with his vocal. And so that kind of similar to what I'm looking for uh, with with my inputs. That's very
2: cool. Well, if you're ever in L.A. and want a great meal and a tour of Manny's studio, um, he owns a restaurant now beside the studio that we went to. Well, Jeff hasn't been yet. Sorry, Jeff. Um, You have to go to this place. It's unbelievable. There's a Meyer Constellation system in his restaurant. Oh wow, that's cool. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah.
1: Anyway, side side note. Sidebar, yeah. So on the Tomlin run, it was L Acoustics, right? K two? It was K one over K two.
0: Um, so it was yeah, four over eight, I believe. Uh four K one yeah. over eight K two. Uh and honestly it was great. I love L Acoustics PAs. That um I've been on quite a few different scenarios and even honestly an all K two rig. Depending on how big the venue is or how far
2: away you are, I'd, I love it. I think it sounds great. Yeah, K2 is amazing. Okay, so what about Outboard Gear? I know you're not using it right now, and Jeff and I just had a conversation about this because it keeps coming up. Have you used it before live? Uh, no, honestly. The only
0: Outboard Gear I've used in the past was uh, the original Auto-Tune, like the whatever it was called, AV v one or whatever it was. Um, the actual hardware box, yeah. Yeah, I used to use those uh, early on because uh, it, it seemed to be the most consistent. Where when we were doing a lot of fly dates or um, you know going to do this TV show or that, to easily yeah. patch that in and have it in any scenario without worrying about computers and this and that. So that's really the only outboard gear
2: I've ever used. Um, so honestly, I honestly, don't have a lot of experience with with that. And is there a reason? I mean, because doing the size stuff you did, you could easily said, yeah, I'd like six racks of whatever and would have been able to get it is it just what's well, working? work don't don't break it yeah some of that definitely was just everybody seemed happy with everything and you know i was obviously trying
0: to improve over the years but but yeah if it's not broke don't fix it also just even at even at fgl's level as at the height that they were everything was still budget conscious you know we still weren't just like willy-nilly yeah. spending money like whatever you wanted to do um, if I would have went to them and said, "Hey, like I have this piece of gear that I think would really improve this or that," I'm sure they would have been like, "Yeah, whatever." But yeah. Uh, it just seemed like seemed like what we
2: were doing was working, and everybody was happy. So I should cool. probably uh, take up this
1: perspective in my life in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that, Lee. Yeah, you're you're about to go down a rabbit hole that you may not need to pursue.
2: I know. It's just, I've never done it. And it's like, well, I'd like to at least be able to try it to be able to give people an accurate opinion. I don't know. But like you, I'd say nine times out of 10 that I've seen people using it, I, you can hear it so much. yeah, And it's, they overdo it, whether it's on a bus, like drums are just so smashed and then the whole mix is smashed. And it's like, just take those thresholds back about five dB people. Cause I just want to hear what it right. sounds like at one dB of compression with the with the two-to-one ratio,
1: like, is that
2: going to be yeah. better? I just don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the one piece of gear that I've used in the past that I thought, okay, that actually makes a difference is a distressor. It's like there's something about that compression and that particular piece of hardware that you just can't find on a plug-in. And so if, if I were to do it, that would be my go-to. But again… It's one channel. Right. So I'd I'd rather have a waves rig that I could have on every channel if I chose to do so and not have to take up more truck space and more, 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 more. So right. Anyway.
2: Yeah, and and they're only thirteen hundred bucks if you
1: want it for the snare. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just super encouraged at the results you were able to get from an approach that was so straightforward and simple i mean you're not really even using a bunch of subgroups and parallel processing and and additional routing it's really just inputs to a matrix for the mains i mean yeah. it wasn't a whole lot of tricks
0: yeah i do I, the only uh, parallel compression i do is on the drums and yeah. and again it's that that parallel group i'm not smashing like crazy um but it, it seems to help Put the drums out front a little bit more and feel feel them a little bit more. That's a really about it as far as as far as routing. I've got everything else kind of live in, in a VCA so that I can kind of live on that main master page. I've got all the vocals and then like a a, a VCA for each sort of guy on stage, I guess. Um, yeah. But I still end up flying around looking at all everything else during the show. But that's kind of where I try to
2: live. It's very cool. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: and then same with effects. Like I don't do a, a ton. Try to try to find a couple of good sounding verbs that just depending on the room each day as well. I do have one in Waves that I don't remember which one it is. I haven't used it in a long time because I've just been going back to the Digico onboard stuff because I feel like it's it works and it sounds decent. Um, and then
2: uh, a tap delay for certain songs or certain moments, and that's that's about it. It's awesome. Love it. Well, dang! Now I have to come here. You
1: mix, so (laughs) I'll Figure this out, (laughs) right on. Yeah, I would love it. So, uh, most of our audience, uh, you know, I've I've told you this before, but a lot of our audience is church production folks, Mm -hmm. and uh, I know that you're actually coming to us today from your church. Yeah. So, what's you know, as you have been around church production guys and have heard church mixes, is there anything like? that you've seen consistently that you would go, man, if you could give a little bit of advice to guys who are trying to make their church get more happening, like what would you say to the average church mixer based on what you've heard to just encourage them and maybe uh, a way to think about things that could make their lives better? Sure.
0: (laughs) Um, I think, again, similar advice that I would give to anybody is just to try to go back to the basics. Don't try to do anything flashy just because this other church is doing it. Go back to the basics of good sources, good EQ, gain structure, um, and then I, I think the toughest challenge, it seems to me, like like the church that we go to here in Nashville is a it's a small church. It's not one of the big ones. We don't have a you know the the PA in here is 20 years old probably, uh, but it's fine as long as it's approached that way and and it works for the room. It's it's fine. So I would say try to get the e the the overall PA working for you as best as possible. Like, I, my dad is actually a pastor, and so I've, I've gone to his churches over the years and tried to just help out with, you know, they'll be like, man, this mic just, it always feeds back or whatever, you know, the pastor's mic's always feeding back or the band, you can't hear this or that. So I've tried to go in and, and help periodically, and I feel like typically it's just going and uh, looking at their EQ over their all, overall PA and kind of just putting it all back and like so much has been cut over the years
2: yep, yep, and then yeah. it just
0: stays and and then by the time you're you, you get there there's hardly nothing left everything's just been cut and it's you're basically just lowering the volume of the pa and not really fixing any issues so trying to just like put everything back and start over a little bit
2: and so i guess that would be the advice a roundabout way of advice i guess that's great it's awesome well, cool, man. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll definitely have to have you back after I get out and hear you mix, because I'm going to have a bunch of more questions that you're going to have <laughs> the right. same answer to, and it's called good gain structure. I don't know. Just keep it simple. It's awesome. <laughs> good gain structure and a fader get you a long yeah. way. Yeah, I guess so. I
0: don't awesome. know. I'm I'm definitely not the smartest dude. I've tried to just just hang and learn everything I can on the road and and approach things in the way that makes sense to me and and just get the band to sound as good as possible without going crazy. So, well, it's working.
2: Apparently, you've never had a bad show ever. So, (laughs) well, that's definitely not true, but I appreciate that.
1: (laughs) That's good. Well, man, it's been good to hang out with you. Thanks so much for just lending us your time and can't wait to see you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, that was awesome. Yeah, he doesn't suck. What a great guy. I mean, you know, I, I know we've been coming back to this a lot lately, but from all access to some of the problems that we saw with people's show files there to just listening to stuff it's like man simpler 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 is kind of a recurring theme it is use those high pass filters and faders man let's get a good source and use the fader and it's amazing
2: you know podcast episode 3 77 episodes ago with pooch yeah he was the first guy who said hey Good microphones, gain structure, and high-pass
1: filters get you a long way, or or all the way. So it's taken us 77 episodes to learn that lesson. So we're basically a little dim, but what's worth remembering is worth repeating. So we're going to repeat it until people start to actually do it. Not that there's anything wrong with plugins, not that there's anything wrong with extra bussing and all those whiz-bang tricks, but man as a starting point, get the basics right. And then when you add those things for color, it's gonna make them more more impactful and more effective. Hey, did you know Waves has a sale today? I haven't gotten the email yet, but I I was hoping that there would be a sale. I'm sure, I mean, there's a sale every
2: day. <laughs> I'm, I'm being silly. All right, Jeff. Um, well? I'm gonna see you in 10 days or so. 10 we days. We load in for the
1: tour. Yep, yep, I can't wait. I'm going to, you're going to get there a few hours before me. So um, remember the bus rule of do not breach the line of a busmate's curtain. So keep my curtain closed because I don't want to have any of your stuff invading my space. Okay. We'll let people use their imaginations to fill
2: in all of those. <laughs> That's words. a lot of blanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye.